Brilliant. Well, welcome. I'm sorry I interrupted you with my song, but once I get started with the song, I find it very difficult to, to hold in my uh, enthusiasm and desire to sing. Uh, Should we do it again? Oh, if you want, yeah. Do you want, yeah, to, do you want to introduce the song? This is the Jason Barnard song, brought to you live from Paris. A quick hello and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, Ellie Schwartz with Jason Barnard. Bravo. Bravo. A bit of improvisation. And the, the piece of news today is we're streaming to LinkedIn today. I got permission to stream onto LinkedIn, so this is an exciting moment, and hopefully lots of people are tuning in on LinkedIn. But before we get going, talking about ranking signal versus ranking factor, which I think is a phenomenally interesting topic. Now, we take a quick look at your brand, sir. I Googled you. It's and horrible, here we I'm go. Sure. Yeah, well, in the US, you totally dominate. That's just you. That's well, brilliant. Can you, can you slide over and look at the knowledge graph? I have a little bit of a problem there. Can we have the next slide? There you go. So we have this, Eli Schwartz from uh, Israel, who's a, a, a physician. Well, I'm actually the second one. So the, the first person, he's a good person. He, uh, he, he's, this is his year. The last two years have been his year. I don't know him personally. And just we, we're lucky enough to share a name. He, uh, his research is on COVID. So he's become very popular. And because I'm better oh, at SEO than he is, I, I get a lot of his emails. And I've been invited to conferences. And I should get my name on some patents. So, and, and all of my Google alerts are, are his Google alerts because every time he comes out with another patent related to COVID and gives another speech, it blows up my Google alerts. The other right. one there. But the, sorry, just, just a question about that one. He's not the guy who's saying you should take horse worming pills and inject yourself with bleach. Uh, I have not been invited to speak on that topic, so I don't think right. so. Okay, but the, the second one, in fact, before you say anything, we'll show the next slide because. Okay. Um, Oh, sorry, just quickly, Eli Schwartz, in fact, when you look in Israel, he totally dominates. So basically, it's flipped. In Israel, Eli Schwartz, who is in Israel, I believe, totally dominates. So your American domination goes out the window. And then the last slide is the one where you have this economist who isn't actually the economist, and Google's a little bit confused. So the next slide along shows us, there we go. I'm dead. Yeah, this is the one where I died in 2010. Um, the people that are all related to me are all actual digital marketers that we all know. Uh, Andy's Crestadina is on uh, the Duda webinar right now. So, and that that's my website there, but I'm dead. So I, I don't know what to think about that. Right, well, what you do need to, you're also not an economist. So the, the, the fact is from this perspective, Google is understood in the left rail, but it's mixed up in the right rail. There is an economist with the same name who is in fact now deceased. Um, I would imagine that also means you can't claim the knowledge panel because deceased people cannot claim a knowledge panel. So you would have to remove that deceased and born dates and replace them with your own born date, obviously not the deceased date because that isn't actually something you could do, and change the subtitle. And then you could claim the knowledge panel and you'd be back on track. So I had the knowledge panel. When my book came out, I had a knowledge panel. So there are three Eli Schwartz's there. Ooh. Yeah. So but, now, sorry, and two, now, two of them are you. So you have one with the book. Oh, no, they combined me with the economist. Right. Okay. And But you haven't claimed the knowledge panel. Oh, I had prior, I had a knowledge panel that I had claimed in the past. When the book came out, they gave a knowledge panel related to the book. I claimed that one. I had to use my like driver's license and everything. And then that one they got rid of and combined, gave my book over to the dead economist. 
Right, but the book isn't there anymore. Oh, it should so be. That, I'll check it, out. It, was, it wasn't in the knowledge panel that we just saw. Oh, if you Google the book, then it, it is credited to the dead economist. Right, okay. Well, in, in that case, I mean, basically, this is what I specialize in. I don't know if you've looked at KDQ Pro, but I specialize yeah. in sorting out this kind of mess and sorting out that confusion and sorting out the duplicates where the duplicates combine and make the correct entity. But that's a story yeah. for another day. We're here to talk Absolutely. about ranking signals and ranking factors. And I thought this was really interesting because I had a conversation with Frederick Dubu from Bing about factors and signals. And his view of it and is not quite the same as yours but I'm incredibly interested to hear yours. So what is a ranking factor and what is a ranking signal? We'll start with ranking factor. So I Googled both ranking factors and ranking signals in preparation for our discussion today. And I discovered something very interesting. In January of 2021, I wrote a blog post about this and I completely forgotten that I wrote a blog post about it. And the reason I, I wrote a blog post about it is because I was looking to, I was listening to the Google podcast uh, Google off the record, it's called. Anybody that doesn't listen to that podcast, I'd strongly recommend you listen to it. It's, it's basically the the Googlers we all know and love, John Mew and Gary Illish uh, and Martin Split, just chatting, talking about Google things. And you you get a sense of the things they care about and things they talk about and things you're looking at. And I heard Gary use the term ranking signals. And I'd never heard that before. I'd always heard ranking factors. And it got me thinking about what is the difference between ranking factors and ranking signals? Now, if you'll go and Google ranking factors and Google ranking signals, actually Google ranking factors, you'll find there's a lot more on ranking factors. You'll have Moz with the ranking factors. You'll search yeah, in sure. with the ranking factors, search in Chalant. Now, if you Google ranking signals, you'll get less. You'll find the occasions where people have used the word Google uh, ranking signals. And then you'll have Google interpreting the word signal as a synonym of factor. And then they're showing you results with the word factor in it. But going back to the blog post I wrote and the reason I wrote that blog post and the reason I think there is a distinction between them, I sum this up in my blog post as, as from a mathematical standpoint. When you have a factor, like we all went to school, hopefully, and we learned a little bit of math. When you have a factor, you can't just decide you don't like one of the numbers. I'm just not in the mood of five right now. So if it's five times five, I can't decide that I'm no longer, I'm going to ignore the word five, one of the fives, and I'm going to give my equation, give my answer because you're wrong, that your teacher will mark you wrong. That's the way math works. If there is a number there, you have to account for that number. But then I got to thinking that signal, a signal can be ignored and they're ignored all the time. Think about in sports, the coach flashes a signal and the player on the field can say, nah, I know better than you. Or you're driving and this, the light turns yellow and that's a signal. And you say, you know what? I can beat that yellow. I will get there before it turns red. That's a signal. So that's what I really got to thinking is there's a difference between factors and signals. And I, I think that Google wants to lean more in towards signals, which is... Well, but that, that's a nice distinction. I think kind of... And one of the reasons Google is leaning into this, and I think Bing are as well, is possibly as well, because people use ranking factors so much and take it also terribly seriously. Mathematically, but if, exactly. It, but, and, but if you start using the word signal, you, st you change the conversation. So yeah. I would imagine part of that at least is to change the conversation, which I think is really smart. Um, and, and the fact that, you know, ranking factor, you get all these results uh, is because people write about it all the time. But as you said, nobody's writing about ranking signals. So question now, before we get into the meat and potatoes of all this, examples of signals and exam examples of factors. I actually think everything is a signal rather than a factor. So if you stay, so you look at, years ago, Google said there are 200 ranking factors. 
I don't think there's really 200 ranking factors anymore. I think there's 2 billion ranking factors because everything is a, is a signal at every at a different point in time. So maybe when Google first came out, they said, okay, there's 200 ranking factors because the Google brain, the algorithm can only hold 200 ranking factors. But now if you think about our AI world, why would you cap at 200? Is it, It's as if there's 200 and if they suddenly decided one of them was less important, they're going to bring another one in and you have to drop one? That doesn't make any sense. You just give different weighting to each one. So what's a factor? I think they're all, all factors become signals. So let's say the biggest factor in the world that we all talked about years ago is the most important ranking factor, the title tag. And there's been a whole bunch of talk this past week about title tags, how important they are, and whether Google's changing them, and should they be changing them, and are they legally allowed to be changing them? So title tags are important, but I have seen many, many results where the ranking results did not use the keyword in the title tag. Now, if that's a factor, if, ranking, if titles were a ranking factor, how could a factor be ignored? It's one aspect of the equation. It cannot be ignored. Now, if it's a ranking signal, you take all of those billions of signals combined together and it equals something that we don't know. That's the mysterious algorithm. That's the AI machine learning algorithm, which is we don't know that because all the, because the equations are millions and billions of searches prior to that rather than I've calculated the 200 factors and based on what I have calculated, I should be number one. Right. And, and when you say we, what I'd like to do now is include John Mueller and Gary Ilyas from Martin Schmidt in that, because they don't know either. The we, because of the machine learning, now means that they have a much better idea than we do because they actually know how the whole thing is built. But they are now part of the we, which is delightful. Welcome to the club. Exactly. You know, I, so I, I don't live in the Bay Area anymore. But I, I spent many, many years in the Bay Area. And one of the things that was great about living in the Bay Area is I had so many friends that worked at Google, including friends that worked on the algorithm. And I was able to tell them things that I discovered and watch their faces because they would never tell me anything. And actually, they, and that's one of the things that I agree with you completely. They don't know how the algorithm works. No one knows. They only know one piece of it. And they, at this point in time, they're squashing bugs or releasing new products. So I forget exactly what it was but it was related to a page being no indexed and 301 redirects and 302 redirects where I suddenly discovered a weird result. And I decided to tell my friend about it just to see how it reacted. And he kept asking me so many questions and it became apparent that it was essentially all these different if else pieces of the code combined to make something that I found, which is probably a, an actual bug, which is why he asked me so many questions. And I stopped answering because I liked that bug. It was a good bug for me. but. But no sorry, but just, just the question about if else, I mean, kind of as human beings, that's how code works. I remember somebody teaching me to code because I was desperate. And he said, basically, a variable, you have a, a variable and you put the thing in the box. The variable is a box. And the value of that variable is the thing you put in the box. And then everything else is if else, if else, if else, else, and so on and so forth. That's human code. Machine learning isn't if else. It's oh, it, totally it opaque. It actually is. Machine learning, oh, right. means it writes its own code. So let, oh, let's so it's go. One zero, one zero, one zero. Good point. No, no, no. It, they actually are if else's. So I'll give you an example. Let's see. Let's do. Let's do a complicated if else. Okay. The thing I love about watching Google and like living the barrier is that Google has these self-driving cars. And let's say when you initially code the self-driving car, it says if you're driving, and a person runs across the street, stop. If the person does not run across the street, keep driving. Now. 
you taught the the you taught the algorithm that there's a person. Now it says, well, what if it's a baby? Is that a person? So it teaches itself babies equal people. What if it's a ball? Well, balls are not people, so you can keep driving. Well, what if a ball means that a person might be coming behind it? Oh, let's create another. So it's writing. That's what machine learning is. It's writing its own wow. code. Uh, at a human level, we do this all the time. Well, if it's raining, I wear a raincoat. Well, what if it's really hot? I'm going to be sweaty. Okay, don't wear a raincoat. Well, what if it's going to get colder? Maybe I should. So like those, that's that's how, that's intelligence, not artificial intelligence. It's real intelligence. So that's the algorithm. And that's why no one at Google knows how the algorithm works because it's full of all those intelligent things and then combine all the things. Well, what if you get a link from uh, the UK parliament? Well, what if the other website has a link from the White House? So it's not like, well, that one's DA99 and that one's DA98. Immediately the 99 wins. There was all that under the hood that is working together. Hence, signals, not factors. Right. Oh, so actually, I like, I really like that explanation because it basically comes down to a gazillion if else's that we can't possibly understand. So it's basically machine learning is taking our coding of if else to a total level that we'll never understand, which is delightful. Um, now, with, with ranking signals and ranking factors, where do you focus? Do you really focus on the signals as a subset of the factors or do you so focus on the signals as they are and you don't worry about the factors? I don't worry about factors at all. Uh, my focus is really on building for users and because that is what artificial intelligence and the machine learning of the algorithm is doing. It's learning about what the users are, are looking for. So let's, let's go with my example where you showed me my brand SERP and there's obviously something wrong with that. So I had a brand SERP. I had myself verified on the knowledge panel. Something taught Google that I'm not good enough for that. It wasn't a bug. It was sore all sorts of signals. We couldn't really dial that back because we don't know all the reasons. Maybe it was people in Israel Googling for that doctor. Maybe it was people in America not Googling for me. They were Googling for my book. So all those different things are happening. So to focus on factors, I don't know what all the factors are. I really don't think it's possible that there are 200 factors. I think there's 2 billion factors. So signals are, do I build, I'm building a good brand. That's a signal. How much does that matter? I don't know. I want to get good links. I want to appear on, on great podcasts and shows like this. How much does that matter? <laughs> I don't know. Is Gary Illich listening to this right now? So therefore he's giving me plus ones and thumbs up and that's going to work. Highly doubt that, right? But like, these are all signals. So I focus on the signals. I focus on building good for users. And when I work with my clients, it's really around how do we build something that users really want and will influence later downstream searches, search behavior, which will influence Google, which will influence Moore's visibility. So those are the things that I think are really worth putting in effort into. Like, let's write good content because good content is a signal. How much of a signal is? You can't value that. Right. Okay. And can, can we add a third thing, which is metrics and look at metrics of the, as the idea of if we look at the metrics of how Google and Bing, for that matter, are measuring the success of these algorithms, it gives us an idea of where they're going. And maybe metrics is a good place to look. Absolutely. But I, I think we never have the full picture. Like, let's go back to the title tags. Everyone on Twitter is complaining about title tags. I think it's like kind of like, you know, office space and who moved my stapler. And I'm very upset that someone moved my stapler because we don't know. I mean, we have a very, very narrow window into how this is working. People are sharing their search results and saying their click-through rate has gone down. I don't think that Google releases something into the wild that has not been tested on a very narrow set or a much wider set. Maybe they roll it back. Maybe they don't. 
But regardless, it is not a, they didn't release a beta onto the world that we all noticed. You know, I love how Barry Schwartz shares like little tests people find. Those are little tests people find. If all of us are finding this test on title tags, it's pretty global, right? It's not a test anymore, it's, it's, it's real. So I think Google does use these metrics and looks at everything with, you know, is this working? Is this providing better organic results for users? Are users spending more time on Google? Hopefully they're they're not just waiting at our Google, users spending more time clicking ads, but that's possible that they look at those kinds of things. So metrics are of course a part of it, but the metrics they know at an aggregate scale, not any of the metrics that we could look at. Even if I got together with 30 people, I don't think our metrics would equate to everything they're looking at. Yeah, or even one of the platforms. And, and that is the point. I mean, kind of the idea of we're looking at our little corner of the internet. And there are a couple of things there. Is we look at our corner of the internet and we complain or we get upset or we're incredibly successful, but it's still a tiny corner of the internet. And Google's looking at the entire thing. And from, from the, the type tag example is really interesting because whether or not they got it right this time, that's where they're going. So rather than thinking this is terrible and I need to complain about it, maybe go in and start thinking, what can I do about it? Because even if it doesn't cut through this time, it's going to cut through next time all the time after. Yeah. And I think this is the really, really important thing to think about, actually, as it relates to signals and factors. There are potentially 2 billion websites in the world. I don't know the exact number. I, go, I searched on Statista, you know, that website that has random statistics. But let's say there are 2 billion websites in the entire world. What percentage of them could possibly be doing SEO? It has to be a very, very small percent. Ooh, sorry, that, that's brought me on to two points really quickly. Uh, I'll just go with one of them, though. Um, the, 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 uh, oh, I, don't, I can't remember. I forgot what it was. My brain's just gone blank. Keep going. Sorry. Okay. So if there are 2 billion <laughs> websites in the world, I wouldn't think that even more than 10% of those websites in the entire world are actually trying when it comes to SEO. And you know, many of these websites are using WordPress and they don't use the Yoast plugin. They're just launching stuff. So Google has to write algorithms that account for the fact that many of these websites actually have great content and they do a terrible job at surfacing their content. Like think about uh, you know, medical websites. There are many of them that have great content and they do a terrible job of SEO, right? So when people look for them, Google wants them to be found but why should Google give more credit to the website that did better SEO when it has worse content? So Google's writing algorithms to account for that. So that's where things come in like title tags of like, well, they didn't know that they need to change their title tag. So how do we improve that for them? Because they did know to change their H1 because that's the title of the page, they see it. So yeah. how do they improve it for them? So like when, when it comes to factors and signals, Google's looking at all these things and saying, well, how do we improve all of our signals for this great medical website that deserves visibility, but they didn't know they're supposed to build things. They didn't know they're supposed to have a good title tag. They didn't know that they're supposed to have internal link architecture, and that's it. Oh, and I, you put the flash out, less than 10% of sites using SEO. I would say it's like less than 1%. There are about 3 million people on LinkedIn in the entire world that use the word SEO in their profile. 3 million people, like, and that that's crossing, that's going content writers, everyone that uses the word SEO, like 2 billion websites, like that number is astronomical. <laughs> Thank you, Anton, for changing your mind after Eli's explanation. But that is a really, really, really beautiful point you just made, is that from our perspective, once again, in our little corner of the world as SEOs, we think or we work in that way and we're doing these great, this great work and obviously that's great. But Google's looking at the 99% of sites that don't and passage-based indexing, part of that is to say we want to be able to dig down into the content that's lost, that hasn't been optimized and pull it up because it is great content and it would, and, and from Google's perspective, we want to show the best content to our users even if the person or the website hasn't done the SEO. 
Yeah. And, and like one great example that I said medical, but I have a better example that does terrible SEO is governments. If you want to know, like the rules of filing taxes as written by the tax authorities. So for me, it'd be the IRS. Uh, I presume the French collect a lot of taxes. So whatever that is in France. I, so, I, I would say too much, but I'll get I'll get slated. But oh, it's too late. Whoops. <laughs> but like these, the government authorities, they have lots of websites with lots of great content. Why should they not be the ranking result when you want to know what the rule is? Why should it be the web, the for-profit website that figured out a great way to summarize it and has ads on it? They could even be Google ads, but like Google should not be about doing that. It should really be about the government had no idea what they're doing. We're going to fix their SEO for them. So when you search for it, you can find it. Right. Yeah. And, and from, but from that perspective, then a long-term SEO strategy of saying, I'm going to take this example of the government website. I'm going to write a website that just explains tax laws and the way it all works for you guys. At the end of the day, they're going down a dead end because the end result that Google are looking for is to give the most authoritative source, which is going to be the government. Absolutely. And I, I have my own word for this. I call this search arbitrage. So back in the day, you would Google like, hey, what Sorry, did you say arbitrage or arbitrage? Arbit oh, hey, let's go with arbitrage. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Keep going. Sorry. Back in the day, you could Google like, hey, I'm in, I'm in Texas and you're in, in Paris. Like, I want to know what time it is for you. I can't do that math myself. So I Google it. What time is it in Paris, right? Now, now Google is going to tell me exactly what time it is in Paris in a, you know, a bright, a, like a, a rich snip. What do they call it? I forget. Feature okay. Feature, no, it's not, it's not a feature snip. Oh, no, no. Whatever it is. I, now I forget. They always change the name. But whatever it is at the top, it's just the time. Okay. So it tells me the time. Oh, right. Answer box. There you go. I, sorry. All right. Forgive it's me. Like, always... uh, it's a guessing game. We could have just turned this into a quiz, a pub quiz guessing game. Now we sound like idiots. We don't even know how yep. Google works. <laughs> Right. Anyway, keep going. You've got an answer box. Yeah. So you got an answer box that tells you exactly what time it is. But let's go back like, I don't know, five, six, seven years and you would have like the website. Hey, thank you, Anton. Timeanddate.com. Yeah, the, with two, we, two and a half billion results and it just shows you the time at the top. That's brilliant. Yeah. So you had timeanddate.com. Remember that website? It would yeah. tell you. Oh, so, they gone, they've gone down the pan. No, they're still there, but why would you use them when you can just get the answer box from Google? So that's the point. That's search arbitrage. Now you go to timeanddate.com and Google will be like, did you know that in Paris they changed the clocks backwards in October? And here's the time right now. And if you click on this, you can subscribe. And what, why do you need any of that? I just needed to know what time it is. So that's search arbitrage, right? So like, I, I'd say like, if you're going down that path where you're just summarizing the government websites, you can get away with it now. But the end result is, why should Google let anybody else summarize it when the government produced their content and likely updated it? You know, maybe they do a terrible job of SEO. Maybe they do a terrible job of explaining in plain language, but they are the source. Right. And that also goes for the sites that collate information um, and, and basically create kind of these collation. I can't remember what they're called now. I'm, I'm terrible at vocabulary today as well. I mean, basically, if you're collating right? Aggregators, thank you very much. Um, repair costs or, or, or flight prices. Flight prices are already gone, but you're going down to that end as well there. Well, I actually like those. I advocate for all my clients to create those kinds of things because it meets, right. a, different, it meets a different user need. I'm, not, I'm creating calculations. So if I want to know how much is it going to cost me to repair my car, 
you can't get that in, like okay the source information of the repairing cars is impossible to find on the internet because each dealer is going to you have to call them probably for it but if you can take all those averages let's say there is a data set they take that then they average it out based on where you live maybe they change it based on currency they they throw in the part prices and the amount of time it's going to take that actually is valuable information and that answers a user query or let's go in the medical space again, like how much is this procedure going to cost me? They're taking Medicare in the US, they're taking medical data, they're taking time data, they're taking hospital data. That's valuable. That I don't, they're not they're not really reskinning something that already exists to creating something new that meets a user. Right. Yeah, I sorry. Yeah. So the idea of repeating is is something that's now disappearing quite quickly from under our feet. And the idea is you have to bring something extra to mean that it has actually has value. And something that Google either can't do or wouldn't be bothered to do because it's got so many other things it needs to do. Absolutely. Oh, and I, I should plug my book now. That's why I call it product-led SEO. <laughs> because you're creating a product, right? You're creating something new that meets a user need. <laughs> Thank you, Anton. Product-led SEO, book by Eli Schwartz. Yes. You're creating something new. You're not just creating, like, and I advocate against just writing content because it's an accurate research tool. Like, that's not valuable to a user. I want to know repair costs, so I'm going to throw an article with a bunch of repair costs. I actually want to know how much this specific piece of my car is going to cost me. That's a new product. And the reason it's a product is because you're not doing it for one part, like, I don't know, the gas cap. You're doing it scaled over every single part of the car. That's an actual product. That's thousands of pages that answers user queries across some things that have no search, some things have lots of search. Yeah, no, sorry, which brings me to another question. We've now totally gone off topic, but that doesn't matter. We can bring it all back real quick. No, no, no. But in fact, it, it was it was this idea of saying, actually, you have all these tiny pieces of information that are very specific. And I have an example in France, because I have a client who does eSIMs, and we've created an FAQ with all these Q&As. Um, and one of the things I noticed is Orange, who are the French operator, telephone operator, were ranking for eSIM for iPhone XS, eSIM for iPhone XS, plus eSIM for iPhone XSL, very, very similar. And each one had its individual dedicated page and they were all featured snippets. That answers a user need. If it answers a user need, Google allows it to be a featured snippet. If it doesn't, all you're doing is creating spam. Right, so we come back to this idea of unique intent. The page needs to cover unique intent. And it, it is true, if I've got a, an iPhone XSL, whatever it's called, I don't know what they're called, and I find a page that's talking about an XS, I'm wondering, is it exactly the same? I don't know, I'm not sure, and I'm suddenly panicking. Yes, and, and, and this goes back to ranking factors and ranking signals, and I see this Ooh, all the time. You're, you're a genius at this, yeah, kind of with, bringing with, things along. Absolutely, with potential clients where I talk to them, and you know, the reason I call them potential clients is because they're whining. They're like, I'm at position six. How do I get to position one? I, I have more links than my competitors. I have more content. I have more... That, those are factors that doesn't really equate to user need and to user intent. Google has looked at the entire space and they have given the number one position to that brand, which you don't understand. And probably Gary Elish and, and Martin Split and John Mueller don't understand either. The algorithm has rewarded that site with number one because it better meets user need on an aggregate scale for that query. Deep, deep down, are you suggesting that signals are all about user need and the signals are all, is it a signal towards that new user need? Absolutely, because I, I think that is the ultimate goal of Google. So Google's mission is to organize the world's information. That was their mission 21 years ago, 22 years ago when they started. 
they're much closer to that because now they understand what people want. So that's intent. So the signals are there to understand that intent. Like I love doing searches that are based on very specific amounts of time, like best place to eat. If you Google that right now, and I, I play with these kind of queries, right now for me, it's coming up on lunchtime, for you it's dinner time. That's based on the time of the day and where we are. Like, like you could look for all those little things and I, I love how they're constantly changing. I, I plug this all the time whenever I talk on you know, podcasts and videos. I use a Google Pixel. I love using Google phones because I see the direction Google's going. So like I do voice queries and I watch how Google listens to what I say. They say Eli's slurring those words. It makes no sense, but based on all the slurs we heard, here's what we think we're gonna do based on all this intent and the time of day and it's changing. And you see these things that are in Android and then they roll them out into the algorithm and those become things like Burton. They become things like mom and they're, they, they're important. So like, yes, it is always about user intent to try to get into the minds of users and that's what the algorithm is about. So that's why one signal can be less important or more important than another. Okay, and, and that brings me to another point, which is the massive amounts of data Google has because of the massive amount of touch points it has with Android, with Chrome, with Google Analytics, uh, and obviously with the, the, the crawler. But all of that, is it talking horizontally to each other? They'd be crazy if they weren't. Like, why, why would they not be using that information? Like, they, they have access to it, and why would they say, Oh, well, we see people on Chrome, they keep they go to this website and it destroys their Chrome. It has so maybe that's a, a hacked website. Like, why would they not use any of that information? I don't know that they're necessarily using Google Analytics. I feel like that's a completely different product, but they are looking at experiences on websites. Why would they not? If you go into a website and you immediately bounce, that that's something they're going to look at. If you go into a website, if you're constantly scrolling down a page and clicking on, on result number nine, which always happens to be the same website, everyone does the same thing, why would they not look at that information that is sitting there right in front of them? How are they going to ignore that? Right, and would there not be an incredibly pro a big problem pragmatically and practically to actually get that data together to, to affect the rankings or to work on the rankings? I mean, one of the problems, Google, I mean, their advantage is they've got so much data. But it could also be argued it's their disadvantage because it's all into in these different silos and getting those silos to talk to funnel into one individual function is going to be phenomenally difficult. Right, which is why it's so hard to compete against Google. One of my favorite examples, now I'm aging myself, of course, in SEO, is um, I don't remember how many years ago it was, but when Michael Jackson died. Do you remember this? When Michael, the, the thing that happened on Google when Michael Jackson died? Uh, no, actually. I barely okay. remember that long ago as a general. When did he die? <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> anyway, what happened? Sorry. Anton's about to flash on the screen when he died. When Michael Jackson died, there were so many people that Googled Michael Jackson died that Google thought there was a denial of service attack. There were so many people Googling the same thing. And I could be wrong, but I feel like I heard rumors about this. This is one of the reasons that Google created Google+. They wanted their own social network so they could do their own social listening to get real-time anything, real-time signals related well, and then, to us. And then the only people who use Google Plus were geeks, and they don't care about Michael Jackson, so that was a bad idea. Right, and then Google just figured instead of building their own, we should just buy the data from Twitter. So, like, it all it all comes back together. But, like, that's the idea is that Google, 2009, I really aged myself in SEO Wow. <laughs> Okay, so so but, oh, people, sorry, it's, uh, yeah, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. There were so many people googling the same thing, and Google wasn't prepared for all of a sudden this thing was happening. But now Google's so much better. So these are real time signals. If so many people Google the same thing, of course that's fed into the algorithm. Michael Jackson died, so like, oh, change the results. And I love it every time these things happen. 
Uh, uh, let's think of something that happened today. I don't know. Anton's going to think of something in the news that happened today. All of the results change. The brand search change and it becomes news results. It becomes all of that other stuff moves away. Like I know I was working with a client last year in the human resources space and human resources was very complicated last year, at least in America. I don't know how it was elsewhere because everyone was getting fired because of COVID, right? So suddenly in all there's this government money. So this company was helping people with human resources and firing and hiring and, and getting government money. But those results change to here's the government forms to go do this. And here's the latest news about this topic. And Google does change it. Of course, they're going to change in real time. Why would they not learn from that? Why would they say, these are the rules and we stick with the rules? Yeah, I had a, an interesting conversation with uh, Gerald Murphy from SimilarWeb. Uh, and we were looking at the, the prevalence of Google My Business during the lockdowns. And it would appear from SimilarWeb's data that the, 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 the Google My Business were either disappearing or being relegated to below the knowledge panel on brand SERPs, at least, during the lockdown periods in different countries. Uh, which basically is, is Google saying, well, there's no point in showing you the local result because you can't go there anyway because you're locked down, which is, which is delightful in one sense, obviously very upsetting in another. So that, I love that because there's no way, and I could be wrong, and you know, someone tweet at me if I'm wrong, there's no way that anyone flipped that switch. That was, that was machine learning. That was people are not going to Google my business. So Google's like, well, let's try something else. The machine decided to try something else. I highly doubt there was any Google engineer, oh, wow, <laughs> sitting at home being like, okay, let's demote. Uh, you try Afghanistan, by the way, Anton. See what happens right. in Afghanistan. There's no way that Google, any Google engineer was sitting at home being like, oh, there's a lockdown. I'm going to suggest to my boss that we release a product that demotes. Well, yeah, especially as they can't keep track of who's locking down when. And especially with people like Boris Johnson in charge, they don't even know if they're locked down or not. But the, 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 what struck me about that is you mentioned news and sports. In fact, sports teams and sports personalities went with brand SERPs. I actually look at the results for sports stars and sports teams and the olympics were really interesting because the results were changing incredibly fast and the the, the news boxes come up at, at a weekend in the uk when the premier league's on you'll get the news boxes coming up and they'll kind of drop down the surf during the week because that's obviously the intent we're looking for the update news yep. oh afghanistan that was your request go on yes yeah, so there's a comment so there's news there's no wikipedia here like uh, if you would, if you're going to look at it, let's say next week or two weeks from now, it's going to be regular results. Oh, you're in the news. Go to all, F, uh, Anton. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, and the the as as you say, when there is trending news, it brings that up. And that's um, that, that's not that is not done by a person. That is the algorithm saying, oh, lots of people are searching for Afghanistan. They're all navigating to to websites that are categorized as news. So therefore. That is what people are looking for right now. And when does that go away? That goes away when people stop looking for websites that are categorized as news and they start clicking Wikipedia again. They start clicking BBC fact results or the CIA World Factbook and those kinds of things. It teaches Google that that is over and it's time to come right. back to that. You know, um, uh, sorry, just now, now that you've shown your age, oh, can, we, can we kind of compare this thing? Yeah, okay, top stories for Afghanistan right at the top there, um, which is absolutely kind of, Fair enough, that's intent of the user right now, but to, in three weeks' time, let's say, it's not going to be that. But the, the Google dance was basically we would wait a month before Google then actually updated its index, which means this real-time stuff really wasn't possible at that time. And in terms of search results, we're really getting there. I mean, it's getting very real-time, uh, which is a phenomenal achievement by Google. 
Absolutely. Which means that, again, going back to our original topic, there can't possibly be ranking factors. Like it's, it, all these things are constantly changing. They're, the factors themselves are dynamic. Hmm. Oh, that's a delightful phrase. We'll, we'll be taking that as a, as a clip quote in Twitter. Um, and, and then the other thing, I mean, my, my obsession is knowledge panels, which aren't quite so real time. There is still this Google dance that you update something, you work on your knowledge panel, it takes one, two, or even three months for the knowledge panel or the knowledge graph to take notice and for anything to change in the knowledge panel. But I would guess that's going to change in the not too distant future as well. I would think so. And again, um, plugging my, my cell phone right here, but like if all of these things are driven by mobile devices and the Google home devices and the knowledge panel is such an important factor in that, right? People ask yeah. questions and they give answers from it. So that becomes real time search. So therefore Google needs to have the knowledge panels update a lot faster based on real time behavior. You know, maybe they don't get signals. Actually, that could be a problem for Google, at least on the, the uh, you know, talking devices. There's no signal. Ooh. They don't know whether you liked it or not. They know whether you ask again, but like, I know my kids get super frustrated with this, like to ask the question and then Google just repeats the same wrong answer. So you you don't like, how do you interpret that? Like, oh, they asked a question again, they didn't understand, they didn't like it. Mm -hmm. on, on search, it's a lot easier to say, well, clicked back from result means they wanted something else or clicked and searched something else means they felt like their query was was confusing. Close the close the query window means they're done, right? Like they, it's a lot easier, but on voice, right. it happens to me all the time. There's Google just five times repeats the wrong answer. But uh, well, voice is then going to move on to shouted at me, got very annoyed, therefore not good answer. That, that's yeah. probably what we're going to end up doing is insulting poor Google, and then Google will reply, "Please don't insult me. I'm sorry." Um, but sorry, that wasn't the point of the conversation in this sense. But I, I'm incredibly uh, interested in how fast Google can move towards that real-time knowledge. And the fact that you're saying, yes, there are factors within the knowledge, is that one of the things they can't do is allow the knowledge graph to get fed with information that's incorrect to too large an extent, because that's going to skew them for years and years and years and years and years to come. And it's going it's to extrapolate and become an incredibly big problem. So they have to be so careful. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that's a big issue. And that's one of the reasons that like, you know, my wife's a teacher and she doesn't allow students to quote Wikipedia. I think Wikipedia has gotten closer right. to like a source of truth now because there are so many editors that make sure to keep it accurate. But it, the accuracy can never be verified because anyone can go change something in real time and it can be updated. Like you can say Michael Jackson is alive right now and that might stick for a minute or a couple hours, and that becomes actual. That becomes factual because it's in Wikipedia. Whereas the knowledge graph, it we can't have those kinds of things happen. Yeah, and yeah, and the nice thing about the old nice thing about the knowledge graph is there is no direct access. You have to do it all um, by other means, um, by multiple corroborations that will allow a piece of information to get in there, which is one of my favorite topics. But that wasn't the topic for today. So to to, to close all this up, I would I would really like your summary of ranking signal versus ranking factor and how we can practically focus on ranking signals usefully, helpfully in SEO. And I'm sure that's going to lead into your book as well. So I, I think ranking factors and ranking signals are exactly are the same thing. 
merge them together, but ignore the ignore the word factor and never use the word factor again because that could lead you down the wrong path. So rank it, we only have ranking signals. There's no such thing as 200 ranking signals. I, I don't even know if Google still says that they're 200 ranking signals, but if they do, I don't believe that. I think there are billions and billions of ranking signals, none of which anybody at Google can point to. Because like, let's say links used to be a part of a ranking factor. Now I would say each website is its own ranking signal slash factor and uses its own Google I'm not going to use the word domain authority, but that kind of thing to understand the weight of it. And by the way, those things are dynamic too. Like when I was at SurveyMonkey, I got links from the White House three times. And none of those times, those links even mattered because they were not contextually relevant and they were on duplicate content, all that. So the, the, if you just thought of that as a ranking factor and there's like one dimensional way of this is a good link, it's from the White House, that should be good. But it's not because even those are sort of versatile and flexible. So I don't think there's any, any such thing as ranking factors. I think they're only ranking signals. And because they're impossible to ever know, I think that ranking signals are representative of user behavior and Google looking to understand user behavior and user intent and to understand the human mind to make Google, and I put this in my book, almost as if it's like your personal librarian. So that's what Google's trying to do. I want to know what I should eat for lunch. I want to know what my personal risk is with, let's say, getting audited. Okay, don't ever, IRS don't audit me. But like that, if I was Googling for tax results, like I want to know my own personal situation. That's what Google's trying to do. They will probably never be like that because it's it's not a human. Uh, thankfully, artificial intelligence will never be human. And we'll, we'll never live in that world where the robots take over the humans. But like, that's the goal. Like that's what Google is trying to move towards and that's what signals are. So if you wanna know what the, what the best ranking signals are and what you should focus on, focus on Google as if it's a human. Focus on SEO as if you're, you're optimizing for humans. What are the good links to get? Well, get links that people are gonna read and then na navigate away from that article and say, I gotta check out that brand. That sounds really interesting. Or focus on writing content where your H1 is not jammed full of keywords, but your H1 says, well, this is a really good title of an article. I'm going to read this all the way through. Focus on keywords as these are the words that people understand and they don't need to go to Wikipedia to look them up. So I, I think those are the rules. And all of that is going to be based on categories and based on specific kinds of intents and sure. the kind of website you're on. Yeah, yeah. So the, the the ranking signals you should be focusing on will depend on your industry, your audience, your business, yourself, and how you've presented yourself as a brand over the years and the intent of the users in that specific situation and that specific environment. Oh, we could go on for hours. That was delightful, brilliant, wonderful, Eli. I was charmed, delighted, and I love the way you dragged this through all the topics you wanted to talk about and back to the ranking signal versus ranking factor with great regularity when I kept missing it. And we did mention your book at least four times, Product-Led <laughs> SEO by Eli Schwartz. And we're going to introduce next week's guest, who is, there you go, Joy Hawkins, who's going to talk about dissecting the GMB panel, which will be stunningly interesting because she's going to walk me through different um, scenarios of Google My Business panels, what we control, what we don't control, what's good to do, what's brilliant to do, and what maybe you shouldn't be doing. So please do join us next week for the delightful Joy Hawkins. That's going to be awesome. Thank you once again, Eli. You get the song as the outro. A quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Eli. Thank you, Jason. It's great to be here. <laughs> delightful. Thanks a lot, man.